Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Well, good morning. Good morning. morning. A little bit stronger. Good morning. Good morning. morning. That's that's better. How are you? That's a little harder question to to answer in that. When we get to more personal greetings, um, we can't always get past, well, well, great, we're okay. Uh, The Psalms, thank you, Tina, all purpose today. Uh, it's sometimes hard to get past that icebreaker and, and letting someone know how you feel and that you're glad to see them. More personal greetings past the hello or good morning or how are you um, are reserved for people we're trying to get to know better. When we ask someone, well, how's your prayer time? How are you dealing with loss? How are you or your family member dealing with addiction? These types of questions get past that initial personal greeting that we usually share. By asking more in-depth questions on more specific topics, we can really cultivate relationships. The book of Psalms is a very personal book of the Bible. The 150 chapters of Psalms is a collection of songs, prayers, and confessions that provide an excellent way to worship God and to get to know Him and yourself better. Do you need to confess something? There's a psalm for that. Do you need to sing praises to God? There's a psalm for that. Are you struggling with doubts, grief, loss? There's a psalm for that too. Mm -hmm. Personally, I'm struggling right now with a work-life balance. I feel like I could stay at the office 14 hours a day, every day of the week. It's unhealthy and I recognize that. I'm gonna try to take time this summer committing to the psalms and pray and dedicate time to have God guide me in that. Mm. Psalm 127 verse 2 reads, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sheep. That's the psalm for me. For centuries, believers have turned to the psalms in times of joy and sorrow. The in-depth personal nature of the psalms allows the reader comfort and direction in times of despair, and the words of guidance and praise in times of joy. The honesty contained in that book helps its readers grow in their relationship with God. The Psalms were written for the people of Israel in the time between Moses and the Babylonian captivity. There are multiple authors. David was the most prolific, but there are also the sons of Korah, Solomon, Moses, and others. 51 of the 150 were written anonymously. Major themes expressed in the book include praise to God as our creator, sustainer, and redeemer. The acknowledgement that God is all-powerful and in control. There are requests for forgiveness. There are times in Psalms where they're just confessions and asking God to help turn away from our sin. There are places in Psalm that ask for thankfulness Uh, to God for his help, mercy, and forgiveness. As we explore the Psalms in church this summer, I encourage each of you to take the time to figure out how best they can help guide you in your prayer time. 
Be sure to acknowledge God for his power, his thankfulness, and place trust in him. Be specific about your prayer. Get to know him better. Yeah. Just like you can get to know someone else better by asking those personal questions. Yeah. If you want to witness to someone, build a stronger relationship with them. Invite them to church. Church in the Park was a great way to do that. Be specific about the questions you're asking folks. Be a good listener. Give them praise and encouragement. I'm certain that you'll find relationship, your relationship with God and, and that person grows stronger. All right, we're supposed to go five minutes. I might be a little short, but I think somebody will be glad to even that out for me. <laughs> Cliff Lowe has Psalm 1, chapter, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Yes. So I'll hand it off to Cliff. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm going to move back in the shade a little bit here. <laughs> All right, so uh, for you that don't know me, my name is Cliff Lowe, and I'm the uh, director of youth ministries here at uh, Valley Church. So I don't know how many of you guys have ever heard my testimony, but I thought I would give just a little bit of my testimony uh, to open us up with uh, Psalm uh, 1, verse 1 and 2. So I'll go ahead and read that. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Yeah. So um, some of you guys, like I said, that don't know me may not know uh, my testimony, but a little bit of that is about 22 years ago, I joined the United States Marine Corps. Uh, my friend who had already joined the Marine Corps, he made it through basic training. Uh, he came home on recruiter's assistance. That should have been uh, the, the first thing to give it away. He wanted to spend some time with me one day, and uh, he asked if I'd want to go to the mall with him. Well, on, on our trip, he had to stop by the recruiter's office. So about an hour later, I was signing the papers to go to uh, MCRD, Paris Island, and, uh, and go through Marine Corps boot camp. So uh, about... A year later or so, uh, took me about a year to, to complete my training, I ended up stationed in New Orleans, Louisiana. And they have a motto there, uh, a saying, does anybody know what that is? Scream it out if you do, anybody? Let the good times roll. Let the good times roll. <laughs> that's right. I can't speak the French, but that's, that's how we say it in English, let the good times roll. And I'm here to tell you that I absolutely did that. Um, I had... Before my arrival in New Orleans to my duty station, I had consumed alcohol in excess probably twice. Uh, after after, after uh, getting to New Orleans and, and spending some time there, I can't begin to tell you how many times that I, that I drank excessively. And in the five short years that I was in the, in the Marine Corps when I left, I would say that by the time that I left, I was probably a, a borderline alcoholic. Uh, the relationships that I had developed with the people that were in my squadron, that were in my unit, the, the other Marines that I worked with, absolutely some of the greatest relationships I'll ever have. Those people would have gladly laid down their lives for me. But those weren't necessarily the wrong people to hang out with, but they were not necessarily the right people to hang out with. In those five years, 
Uh, the only time that I heard the name Jesus or God was, was sadly in, in a vain profanity. I, I was never, the gospel was never shared with me by anybody uh, that I would have considered my friends or anybody that was close to me. Um, one time uh, I, I did have, I had a truck breakdown and I was, uh, I was at this shop to get a drive shaft rebuilt. And this older gentleman, he probably talked to me about the gospel for 30 minutes maybe an hour, and, and to be honest, I, could have been, I couldn't have been less interested at that time. I just did not have a positive influence in my life. So after getting out of the Marine Corps, it was almost like flipping a switch. I just, I quit drinking uh, and I became a family man. I was a family man before I got out of the Marine Corps, but the difference was I was spending 90% of my time with my family, people who loved and depended on me. And uh, as a young father, uh, a new father. I had a new job. I, had, I was building a new home. I did not have time for, for much of a social life. And as things winded down and, and, and I ended up having a little bit of a social life, again, I, I surrounded myself with ungodly people and I fell right back into the same habits that I'd already been in. And, um, and I, I neglected uh, my family because of that. I, I seriously uh, ended up neglecting my family because of, uh, because of my social life. So fast forward to uh, June of 2020, and my family and I started attending services here. And I developed a good relationship with Danny Anderson. And I remember that uh, Bree and I and, and Danny and Angie were at dinner one night, and Danny was expressing how good it was to have Christian friendship, to have people that are like-minded, that have the same beliefs that you have, people that you can spend some time with. So. Uh, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm trying to convey in my story or through this message. This is my story. I'm not judging anybody. Um, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't say that it's a sin to consume alcohol. But when you do consume alcohol in, in the means of the ways that I did, that definitely is sinful. So contrary to my story, we can see that those who shy away from ungodly people and walk in the counsel of those who are godly, meaning those who have accepted Christ, someone who's knowledgeable in God's word, someone who has your best interest in mind and is willing to lead and teach you, the people who walk in that counsel, those people are blessed to have someone who loves them enough to provide sound biblical counsel to them. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but let us exhort one another, especially as you see the day approaching. Mm -hmm. God gives us instructions to gather in his name to spur one another along. <clears throat> to, to lean on each other for help, to be vulnerable with each other in a time of need. And why did he give us this gift? Because he knows, God knows, that alone we're weak, we're unmotivated, and above all, we're sinful. God knew we needed godly counsel of others. To help us stay on a narrow path that we're called to follow. So uh, when Jonathan asked me if I would, uh, if I, if I would do this message, um, I immediately jumped on verse 1 and 2. Anybody that was in our last, uh, our last youth group will recognize this because I took this right out of uh, the last lesson I taught in youth group. So um, motiva motivational speaker uh, Jim Ron, or, or John, I'm not sure uh, of his last name, said that we are the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. Mm -hmm. Think about that, the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. I would take it a step further and say we're the average of the five people that we choose to spend our time with. I think that the company we keep tells a story about our character. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. And he finishes that with saying, I say this to your shame. Excuse me. <clears throat> some do not have the knowledge of God because one, they're shamefully not taught the word of God. And two, some refuse to hear the wise counsel of the godly. In Amos chapter 8, we can read about a famine coming to this land. Not a famine of hunger, but a famine of the word of God. It says in verse 12, they will wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They will run back and forth to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. I believe that we're in that time right now. Some of you might ask, how can that be? I mean, I'm up here preaching the word of God right now. Most of us have a Bible in our hands or, or, or on our phone. How can it be that there will be a, a famine of the word of God? That's because the famine isn't of teaching or preaching, but of hearing the word of God. You've heard someone say that you're hearing the word, but you're not listening to what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that uh, is, is some listen to the word of God, but they don't like what it says about their lifestyle. So they don't apply it. They turn from and refuse to hear it. They look for uh, something that's pleasing to them. They're not seeking the counsel of the godly, but quite the opposite. The book of Matthew says that, these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the precepts of men. And I can, I can stand here and tell you that there is no godly counsel in the precepts of men. Right. So I'm not saying that we should, sin away or, or that we should, that we should shy away from sinners or, or the places that, uh, that they gather. But the Bible, the Bible says that there is none who does not sin. That includes me. That includes you. But we must focus ourselves on godly influences, people who can aspire to follow. We can aspire to follow because they aspire to follow Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. People who hold us accountable and let us know when we stumble. People who will rebuke us out of love. Second Timothy says that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be completely, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need to surround ourselves with people who will hold us to a biblical standard and use biblical means as forementioned to guide us. Verse two says, but in his delight, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law, he, meant, he meditates day and night. The Hebrew word for law is Torah, but I think that it can be better understood as teaching or instruction. And why should we find delight in the Lord? My question is, why shouldn't we find delight in the Lord? 1 John 5, 3 says, For it is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. God literally loves it when we follow his commandments. It's our instructions on how to live out our short lives on earth in preparation for an eternity in the presence of God in heaven. If we can't delight in that, I, I don't know what we can delight in. <clears throat> Hebrews, in Hebrews, you can read that this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. He adds that their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. We should find delight in knowing that God loves us so much that he has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide us and to work within us. I came up on a verse the other day. That was so simple, very, very simple, and had such an astounding meaning. And it's Psalm 119.9. It says, 
How shall a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. It's that simple. All we have to do is keep our ways in the word of the Lord. Again, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that we can go through lives and completely stay away from or steer clear of sinners. There is no righteous, no, not one, says the Bible. It says that those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. We are called to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the sick, but we have the ability to surround ourselves with positive Christian and biblical influences and the people that we choose to spend our time with. So in closing, I just want to reiterate on something that Jonathan said a couple weeks ago, being Father's Day. But as fathers, uh, we're called uh, to lead our family spiritually. It's our job to see that our children are attending services at church. It's our job to make sure that our, our, our children are equipped to make good decisions. It's our job to push our children to get involved in the church, even when it's something that they don't want to do, when there's something that they'd rather, they'd rather spend their time doing. We need to push our children to be involved in the church, to surround them with that godly counsel. Um, we will be judged on, on many things whenever we, uh, whenever we stand before Christ, and, uh, and that's one of them, is, is our ability to, to, to guide our children and our family. So thanks for listening to my message, and Jeff's going to go uh, walk us through verse 3 and 4. Okay, thanks, Cliff. Everybody hear me? Yep. All right. Uh, I was going to give my testimony, but mine's pretty boring compared to his. <laughs> uh, I was a preacher's kid, so I, oh, no. I was pretty sheltered. But, uh, I mean, I, I bless the Lord for putting me in that situation and, yeah. and the father that I had. Um, so just thank the Lord for that. Um. <clears throat> so we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. Um, Cliff gave us a description of the activities uh, engaged by the blessed man and one who is opposed to God in verses 1 and 2. So we're going to take a look at the life of these two individuals uh, in the imagery of agriculture, which we have a lot here today. Um, so verse 1 so verse 3 says, uh, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So luckily today, we have a lot of trees here by the river and the water. So a blessed man, is life is like a tree. Um, picture a tree, a firm a movable tree, a tree planted right next to a stream or river. That the tree's getting nourishment from the soil and from the water. It's constantly growing. Though you wouldn't be able to tell it if you were standing there and watching the tree. The growth is slow, but it's steady. Hmm. And it's a healthy growth. So the verse also mentioned fruit. Uh, this apparently is a fruit tree. It produces fruit at appropriate times. Uh, fruit trees don't have fruit all the time that we, that 
in that we know that, but the fruit comes, the fruit comes out at the proper times. And it happens regularly every year for most trees. Uh, the verse also mentioned the leaves. Even the tree's leaves don't wilt or drop or wither. So this is a healthy tree. Hmm. So you take all, all, all that into consideration, transfer this all over to the blessed man. He's steadily growing spiritually and in every way studying God's word and in prayer. Yeah. The growth he experiences might not even be evident to him day by day, but he and others can look back over his life and see progress and growth. Part of the growth in a blessed man's person, in a blessed person's life, is the fruit that he bears. Uh, good things, godly things, are happening in his life, and in his family, and in his own soul. He's productive. He's not fruitless or barren when it comes to, especially, to uh, spiritual realities. It also mentions prosperity. Um, so leaving the illustration about the tree, the last uh, statement of verse 3 uh, is that whatever the blessed man does, he causes to prosper. Um, of course, there is no promise that the blessed man won't ever fail. Failure is often part of growth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've just been talking about that. Based on the fact that the blessed man is like a growing healthy tree, things are good in his life. Fruits being produced, growth is occurring. It seems like everything he does causes to prosper. Of course, this prosperity is only through the power and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. As we've seen in Romans 8, 28, and Precious quoted this verse last week, and also Tina this morning, says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So what a wonderful picture we get of the blessed man. His spiritual life and even other aspects of his life are healthy and growing. This is a bright picture. So if we move on to verse 4, this is a contrast to verse 3. It says, The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. So I was going to get a prop for shaft. Um... You know, it's the it's the coating around the wheat kernel. Mm. It's it's good for nothing when it when it drops off the wheat. And I was thinking, well, what could a what could a prop could I get for that? So if you ever had a bought a pack of peanuts, like at Seven <laughs> Eleven or any gas station, like, open okay. them up, form them in mm -hmm. your hand. Don't you get a lot of that skin that's around the uh, the peanut? Yeah. What do you do with that? Throw it away. Blow it away. Yeah. So. So what kind of man whose activities we saw in Psalm 1, you know, following ungodly counsel, infatuated with godless lifestyles, associated himself with godless individuals, what's his uh, life really like? Verses 3 and 4 contrast two images, both from nature and agriculture. On the one hand, verse 3, a firm, healthy, growing tree, which we see a lot of those here today, bearing fruit, not withering, succeeding by God's grace. On the other hand, verse 4, when you think of shaft, do you think of something durable or not withering? No, shaft is just the stuff, like I said, on the outside of the kernel of the wheat. It flakes off the wheat kernel, 
And as we're told in Psalm 1-4, the wind blows it away. So it's not permanent. It's not grounded. Hmm. It's not planted like the tree was. Does shaft bear any fruit? Do you get apples from shaft hmm. or grapes from shaft? By the way, uh, shaft is mentioned in the uh, ESV translation uh, 16 times. And every time it's mentioned, it speaks about being blown away hmm. or being burned up and good for nothing. Hmm. So what is shaft good for? Is it productive? No. No, all you can do with shaft is get rid of it uh, from the fleshing, threshing floor as spoken in verse 4. Um, Luke chapter 3 Verse 17 says, His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but the shaft will burn with unquenchable fire. So there again, it's good for nothing. That's the picture we have of the ungodly. Their lives bear no fruit for the Lord. They're useless for his purposes and plans in the world. So to summarize these two verses, uh, verse 3, the blessed righteous man is healthy, is like a healthy tree. In contrast, verse 4, the wicked are like vegetation, but the vegetation that's dead, dried up, and blowing away. So to everyone here today, and especially to the fathers, and fathers-to-be, what is your desire today? Hmm. To be an ungodly man, worth nothing like the shaft, or a blessed man of God, reaping the benefits of following our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Now I want to ask Brian to come up. He's going to speak about the last two verses, Psalm 1. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you for joining us in the park. This is awesome. I am loving this. Okay. I'm Brian Peterson, for those who don't know me, and uh, I have the honor of teaching on verses 5 and 6. So I'm going to start at the beginning and just read through and, and just bring us to the present verses. So blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, I gotta be honest, when Jonathan asks us, hey, you want to preach? It was me and Cliff. And Cliff goes, verses 1 and 2. And then he goes, oh, man, I got 5 and 6 on judgment and perishing. That's, that's not cool, Cliff. Come on, man. But when we think of judgment, there's two sides of judgment. And there's the blessing for the righteous. And then there's the perishing for the unrighteous. And so I'll, I want you guys to imagine something with me just for a moment to kind of bring this so that we can relate to it here in the now. All right? So imagine... For all you adults, I got a version for adults and a version for kids. So for all you adults, you're at your dream job, your favorite job. You love every aspect of it. And you're coming in for your year review, your annual review with your boss. 
Okay, for kids, it's a little different. This is, this is your favorite sports team or club, maybe Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, whatever. It's your favorite thing that you like to be a part of. And it's the annual review. The adult in charge is going to come and talk to you. So two scenarios. So the first one, you're nervous because you don't know what's going to happen in this review. But the door opens and your boss or your coach walks in and they've got this ear-to-ear -ear grin on their face and you start to feel a little bit better. And they say to you, you know what we're here for. This is your annual review. And I just have to say, you have been so awesome this year. You have been a major team player. You've done everything I've asked. You've been faithful. You know, well done, my good and faithful team member. Let's have a party. Okay, that's scenario one. Okay, scenario two. Okay, the door opens. Your boss, the adult in charge walks in. They don't look too happy. And they say, all right, you know why we're here. And I'm just going to cut to the chase. Things aren't working out. I know this is your dream job, but you're not a team player. You don't do anything I say. You don't do anything the boss says above me. It's not working out. So I'm cutting you loose today. You're fired. Or for kids, it ends this way. Hey, you can't be a part of this team anymore because you're not a team player. And you know what? I don't think you're a good influence on my kids. So I'm sorry, but you can't play with them anymore. So two scenarios, okay? And these two scenarios represent what we see in this verse. That the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And the thing about, about this judgment is that the Bible tells us that at the end of our lives, there is a judgment coming. And Cliff spoke about it, and Jeff touched on it. But in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that it's been appointed. This is Hebrews 9, verses 27 and 28. It's been appointed for mankind to die once, and after that comes the judgment. But Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. And not to deal with sin the second time. He dealt with sin the first time he came. But the second time he comes, Hebrews tells us here, to save those who eagerly wait for him. That that is what God is in the business of. God is in the business of saving us. That he loves us. But the Bible tells us that righteousness, to be in the righteous group... That is based on faith. Well, what is faith? You might be here today. You might, this might be your first time at church for all I know. Or you could be watching online and you're like, well, what is this Christian deal? What is faith? And in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that, that faith is belief in God. And the thing about belief is it's not just head knowledge. It's that plus action. And so the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus came and he died in our place. Okay, so, so imagine this. Imagine you're, you're, at, you're at the courthouse and you've been sentenced to life in prison or, or to death. That's what you've been sentenced. And the judge is just about to bang his gavel and that's the sentence you get. And all of a sudden a man in the back jumps up and he says, wait. And the judge says, well, who are you? And he says, well, I'm Jesus. He says, well, what do you want, Jesus? And Jesus says... I want to pay the price for that man. I will go to jail for those 77 years. I will pay the death penalty for him. And God says, well, why would you do that? And he says, because I love him. And that's the love that God has for us. 
that he would sacrifice everything to die in our place. And that's what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross. He died for our sins. He died so that when God looks at us, he would see us as righteous. Right. And so, the, so what is the righteousness that, that verses 5 and 6 are talking about? That this whole psalm is talking about. How, how do we move from the camp of the wicked into the righteous? And in Romans 10, 9, it says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart mm -hmm. that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so think about this, right? We talk about this verse a lot, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. But what we're really saying is, is that God, you are our king. I want you to be the king of my life, Lord. And in Isaiah chapter 45, verses 22 and 23, the Lord told us this. This is directly from God the Father. He said, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth is uttered in all integrity, in all truthfulness. And this word will not be revoked. This is what's going to happen, God's saying. Before me, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. And that's what God's asking us to do. So to be saved, we come to God in righteousness and we say, God, I want your righteousness. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I want you to be the king of my life. And so there might be someone here today, you've never prayed that prayer. You've never even heard this message. You might be listening on the internet. And God is saying to you this morning, trust me, I love you. Come and start this relationship with me. Believe in your heart that I died. I sent Jesus to die for your sins. Believe that I want to have this relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And if you confess that with your mouth and you pray and accept the Lord in your heart, you will be saved. And then in the judgment that comes, you've moved from those who perish to those who have everlasting life. You've moved into the, what verse one called the congregation of the righteous. And here at Valley Church, we talk about it as the partnership of everyone serving God and fulfilling God's, God's will here on earth and loving one another. So that is how we move and that's how we stand in the judgment. It's not based on our own strength or works. And in verse five, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. That word stand, according to Strong's exhaustive concordance, it means that God holds us up. And 19 times it was used in the Old Testament. And it was most often, it was the armies of Israel. And they were saying, God, help us before our enemies. Mm. We can't stand. Mm. We can't stand. We need you to make us stand and be victorious. And that's what we're asking God to do. We just have to accept it. Now, verse six, the Lord knows the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked will perish. And so what I've shared with you this morning and what the Bible teaches is that we each have a choice. We each have a choice whether we want it to be in, in the group of the righteous or the wicked. And it's up to us to choose. And Jonathan, you closed out our series on Joshua two weeks ago. And Joshua, his last message to, to Israel before he died was, was choose this day whom you will serve. Choose today who you'll serve. Yeah. Will it be God or not? And the consequences, as, as the Bible lays out here, is that if we do, we go into eternity, into everlasting joy with the Lord. And Jesus said, he said, he taught parables about this. If you want to know more about the judgment, it's, it's not my favorite topic, but if you want to study it, 
Read Matthew 25 and all the parables that come before it. And Jesus said, he told these parables about it. He said, some will come and it will be like bridesmaids. They'll enter into, there'll be this big wedding feast. It's going to be awesome. He told another parable where he, he said, you know, the servants will come. I'm actually going to get down and I'm going to feed them like the king of the universe serving us. Like this sounds pretty stinking awesome if you ask me. And that's the love of God for us. And so it is Father's Day. And the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows who chooses him and not. And, and one thing I want to say about verse 6 here, before I wrap it up, is that verse 6 tells us that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And that word knows, it means that he takes a kind regard, that he has a delight in. He has a delight in each and every person that's here. And he's passionately pursuing us. It's like sometimes we think of God and, he, and we think of him up on the throne. Well, if he's on a throne, he's on the edge of his seat just waiting for us to call out to him. That's the God we serve. Well, how do you know that's true, Brian? Well, because I read the word that Cliff was talking about. And in the Bible, it tells us who God is and it tells us how he relates to us. And the best example is how God looks at his son, Jesus. And I felt really impressed to share with, with us this morning when Jesus rose, when he was baptized and came out of the water, there's this booming voice that echoed from heaven. And God spoke and he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And when you become a Christian, you enter into God's family and you become a beloved son or daughter. Then God is in heaven and he looks down. It doesn't matter what you're doing. He loves you. He says, with you, I'm well pleased. That doesn't mean he's not going to deal with our sin. He is, because a father loves and disciplines a son whom he loves. That's part of the role of his father. We have to instruct and train our kids in the way they should go. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it talks about how as we're walking down the road of life with our kids, it's our job as fathers to speak life into them, to train them in the way of the Lord. That as God is instructing us, we pass that on down into our children and what happens is we're planting a seed in their lives. And one day they're like a tree. And they're growing. And they're becoming strong and mighty in the Lord. And that's our dream. That's our goal. That's, that's what we as fathers, that's what we long for. So I just want to say to all the fathers here, as I've gotten to know a few of you, I've been super impressed that your faith runs deep. Your care for your, your children and your families, it is awesome. And the Bible tells us that, that uh, one man sharpens another you know, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. And so I am so blessed to be here among you. So now Wayne's going to come up. He is going to wrap up our message this morning with some application points and some prayer. Thank you. All righty. Good. Well, I just noticed my clock and we're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's going to stop me. Sorry, folks. <laughs> I, just, I just just want to wrap things up here. These guys did a great job, and I appreciate them. But uh, <clears throat> I want to thank them uh, for their godly wisdom there. Psalm uh, chapter 1 is, is actually called the Wisdom Psalm because it instructs us in the way to contentment, to happiness, to peace, to hope, to life eternal, and if we make the choice to follow God's direction for life. So uh, what, they, what these guys have given us this morning is from God's word here, is words of knowledge from God's word. But <clears throat> knowledge is so important. It's necessary, isn't it, for us to know what God says. But applying it 
is where the rubber meets the road. <clears throat> so applying God's word to our lives and what we learn in his word is what God challenges us to do and wants us to do. So the, the Psalms 1 talks about two directions. One is the godly direction that leads to happiness, life, fulfillment, contentment. The other direction is the ungodly way, which leads to misery and destruction and life apart from God for eternity. So verse 1 and 2 tells us a bit how to be blessed and how to avoid wickedness. There's, there's three verbs in, in uh, verse 1. It's, it's, it says walk, stand, and sit. And it warns, again, it warns us against engaging in the counsel and, uh, and walking with the ungodly in, in the wicked ways uh, that others would have us to do. It's okay. I think, we, I think it's very necessary for, to, for us to know uh, people that are apart from God. I think it's important, actually. Uh, I think it's our role as a Christian to love as many as possible as we can to God. And so <clears throat> we do that by how we live. So how do we live? So this, this book of wisdom. Oops. There you go. Hold on your paper, Wayne. <laughs> this, this, so this book of wisdom is gonna, it tells us exactly how to not walk, how not to stand with sinners, how not to sit in their counsel. And, and so, uh, so it's, it's his plan for us as his. If we want to find happiness, if we want to find uh, contentment, it, we, we need to be in God's word. Um, there was two arborists planting um, their orchard. Uh, one was an old wise ar ar arborist uh, and he planted his trees and he gave them a little bit of water to begin with, but then he didn't give them water anymore. This young and inexperienced arborist planted his trees and he wanted his trees to flourish. And so every day, man, he was out watering his trees. And man, did his trees look great. They, they were just green and beautiful. Uh, but, the, but the old arborist knew the right way to do it. Because what happens, the young arborist, their trees did not have to work to get water. The old arborist knew that if he didn't water the trees, it would have to dig its roots deep into the soil to find that water, to find that nutri nutrition that they needed. Mm. So one day, the storms came and the wind blew and the young arborist, his trees didn't have to strive for water. They did not go deep. They were surface and they blew over and were destroyed. And the old arborist, whose trees didn't look so good at the beginning, but boy, did they thrive once they got their roots deep into the soil. They withstood the storm. I think you get the picture. Mm -hmm. How deep are you? Mm -hmm. I think that's what he's talking about here when he talks about meditation and meditating and reading God's word. There's a cows, sheep, Goats, deer, and other animals have what's called ruminant stomachs. Uh, it's four stomachs in one. And you may have heard of this, especially if you're a farmer. 
so what, 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 I'm going to use the example of a sheep because I guess all we like sheep have gone astray. <laughs> so it's interesting though that God gave that kind of stomach to a sheep, but I'll give you the illustration. Uh, a, a sheep will eat its portion in the morning and, and, and somewhat during the day until their stomach is full and they swallow that food whole. They don't, they don't chew it, they just swallow it whole. But then throughout the day, they just don't, just a little bit gross, but they kind of bring it back up. It's called chewing their cud. Uh, and they, they chew on it, mm -hmm. and then they swallow it again, mm -hmm. and they chew on it, and then they swallow it again, mm -hmm. and they chew on it, and then they swallow it again. And I think that's what he's talking about here. Mm -hmm. And he, when we, he says, meditate on my word day and night. For us as Christians to, to produce what we are meant to produce, what like a sheep for them to be healthy and produce what they needed to produce. They had to do it God's way with God's plan for them. Same way with us, isn't it? If we don't, if we don't uh, read God's word, if we don't chew on it throughout the day, we can listen to unwise counsel. So paying attention and reading God's word and letting it deep root, deep, deep uh, roots in our lives mm -hmm. allows us to withstand the storms of life. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have them if you haven't already. <clears throat> so it, it matters. It, it, that way you can have even joy in the midst of, of, of the storm. <clears throat> All right. Verse 3 and 4 tells us how to be fruitful. Oh, the one, there's one thing I wanted to mention. There's 1,000... 440 minutes in a day. And I guess the question I need to ask me, and you can ask you, how many minutes of 1,440 do you spend eating, taking in God's word, and meditating or ruminating on God's word for your life? It'll make a difference. It'll make a difference. It'll change your life. Verse 3 and 4 tells us that uh, to be fruitful and prosper life uh, in this life and uh, to, for eternity, uh, unlike the wicked. There's a term in psychology called affluenza. That it has to do with being affluent. Uh, it's a social condition that arises uh, with a desire to be wealthy, to be successful, to consumer mentality. It's self-centered and it's insatiable. And it, it's, it's only a conquest to have social status. And those that some are, and you probably know people that contend with this thing. Uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, can be a workaholic attitude. And this, this attitude, this affluenza, causes a lot of harm in our society. It destroys family. It causes stress and anxiety for the one pursuing it. There's so many, so many things negative about that. Uh, it's, it's just all consuming. So, but this verse three is not about that type of prospering. What, what God is talking about here is he's talking about as a child of God, we can have a truly a prosperous life that produces fruit and for eternity. <clears throat> so God blesses our life as we serve him and others instead of, our, instead of ourselves. <clears throat> a life deeply rooted in God's word will never, never as, the, as these verses said, wither, it'll never die. 
we can truly be content and fulfilled in life when we dwell, when we learn from our Father. God's Word is all about him, His desire for us to have relationship with Him. And that's His whole desire, isn't it? He sent His Son to die for you and me, that we might have a relationship with Him. So <clears throat> being prosperous in God's way is, is, uh, has, has eternity in mind. It's going, to be, um, it's going to be a horrible realization one day for folks with that mentality. They spend their life climbing this ladder of success, prosperity, social status, only to find once they reach the top at the end of their life, it's against the wrong wall. Hmm. When they leave this world, nothing will stand. <clears throat> what ladder is your wall against? Is it the one Satan has planned for you and uh, for anyone that would listen to him? Is it the wall that pursues, pursues, pursues and finds no contentment and no peace and no hope? Or is your ladder on, on the wall that God has provided for you? And at the end of that, at the top of that ladder, when we go to meet our Savior one day, that's where hope, that's where peace is. That's where joy is. That's, that's where life eternal is. Mm -hmm. So I just ask you, what, what ladder is your wall on? Boy, it, it certainly matters for eternity, folks. And not only for eternity, it matters for now. If you want to prosper, if you want to truly prosper, you can make sure your ladder's on the right wall. Well, <clears throat> those who reject Jesus Christ will not meet the qualifications or the requirements to fit them for the presence of a just and holy God. They will stand completely exposed and guilty. God's prescription, though, for righteousness is only through the acceptance of his son, as Brian mentioned, and that's in Jesus Christ. As a child of God, we can stand guiltless before the Father. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a blessing? Amen. So, to wrap it up, God's prescription for fulfillment and a rich life is this. Number one, receive the grace and mercy and forgiveness of your sins he offers by accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you haven't done that, man, you can do that today. Mm -hmm. And you can have that hope. And you can put your ladder on the right wall. And you can find at the end of this life life eternal. Establish a personal relationship with God the Father. It allows us to do that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, By grace are you saved by faith in Jesus Christ and not of your own efforts or works that any would boast. Jesus said no one can come to the Father but by me. That is our only hope. So listen, when you make that decision for Jesus Christ, here's what, here's what you can do, as these verses alluded to. To be truly blessed, happy, content, fulfilled. Talk to your father every day. Hmm. Read, study, meditate on his word every day. To produce the fruit that we are saved for, that will stand. Talk to your father every day. 
Read, study, meditate on his word daily. To fulfill God's purpose for your life, talk to your father. Read, study, and meditate on his word every day. To be right with God and exemplify his imputed righteousness that we get through Jesus Christ. Talk to your father every day. Read, study, meditate on his word every day. Mm. To reject Satan's plan for your, uh, for your destruction and fulfill God's plan for eternal life. God made a way for us to do that, didn't he? So for us to do that, we need to talk to our father as a Christian every day. We need to read his word every day. We need to study his word every day. And we need to meditate on God's word every day. If you can do that, God blesses, blesses that. And God can give you uh, that joy. He can help you withstand the storms of life. And in Jonathan's last message, it was in Joshua. Uh, and I think it's fitting for Father's Day, and, and uh, Brian alluded to it. In Joshua 24, 15, it says, and if, can you say this? But as for me mm. and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> thank you for your word. Thank you, God, how you can use your word in our lives to change us. Father, to help us to weather the storms of life. Thank you, God, that you love us so much that you send your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. That we can have remission of sin. Father, we just, we just praise you for that and the, and the hope and the help we have in this life if we turn to you. Father, help us to put our ladder on your wall to find that all that you have given us and fulfill your purpose for us in this life. Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as personal savior, I pray today, God, the Holy Spirit does his work of redemption and that he enlightens and says, hey, you need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you might have this hope, that you might have relationship with God the Father. So, Father, I pray for those, and I just pray that they, they just say this simple prayer, God, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want that hope. I want that salvation that Jesus Christ provided for me on Calvary's cross. He died for me. Thank you, God, he did. I give my life to you. I want you to be my Savior, and I want you to be my guide for life. If you pray that prayer, I guarantee you, God, and, and mean it, God will come into your heart. He'll change your life. So, God, thank you for that. And just, you, Father, just help us to live our lives every day. Loving people to Jesus and showing them there's, there is hope because there's a day of judgment coming. God, help us to be that light in the valley. Thank you, Father, that you allow us to even do that. It's in Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.